Welcome back to the Rethinking Church podcast. My name is Tim, the lead pastor at Hydrant Church and the founder of the Rethink Small Conference. We're really excited that you're joining us today as we begin season two of the Rethinking Church podcast. As we begin this new year, we're going to start off with something a little bit different. Normally, we have about 10 to 15 minutes of leadership thinking and rethinking about some aspect of the church. And today, we're going to take a little bit different approach. I have a brand new book coming out in the next couple of weeks called Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. And as we prepare for the launch of that new book, we're going to use this podcast just to kind of talk through the different chapters and what's happening in those chapters and the things and lessons that we're learning throughout that book. But before we do that, we have a very special treat today. Aaron Golden, the founding pastor of Union Point Church in Newburn, North Carolina, joins me on the podcast for a conversation about some of the key topics found in Rethinking Church. So I hope you enjoy this conversation between me and Aaron Golden. Hey guys, I'm Aaron Golden, the pastor here at Union Point Church in Newburn, North Carolina. And you're on the Rethink Church podcast. I know Tim's probably just introed this, and I'm the one taking over talking here. But uh, Tim, it's good to see you, man. Man, it's so good to be together. We haven't been able to hang out in a while, and yeah. uh, I'm really excited about being able to talk a little bit. Yeah, 2020 sort of hemmed us in a little bit across the board on relationships, just being able to get you know together in the flesh. And yeah, sometimes that's good sometimes it's not <laughs> yeah it changed a lot for a lot of us we've been rethinking life we've been rethinking yeah. church rethinking leadership and so I, i'm excited about the book coming out yeah. excited about the chance to talk a little bit about it you've been with me on this journey for the yeah. last decade as we kind of got connected and have been leading new things at the same time and yeah. and supporting one another through that yeah it was uh you know you and i were talking about this before we hopped on here but you know it's been it's probably been close to a decade, you and I knowing each other, coming in close on that. And you've been so vital on our journey over the years, just you and I having a friendship in one of the places I want to talk about in, in anonymity and obscurity mm-hmm. and uh, both of us journeying through some you know similar, similar patterns, but as well in different places. Mm-hmm. And uh, you and your family just so instrumental, you know, for us in those early years of ministry and then as well in church planning, just the everything that you guys have done at Hydrant, everything that happened with your story inspired a lot of the things that helped us mm-hmm. along the way. So, yeah, I, I, you wrote the book, but I got to see the makings <laughs> of the book. You know? Yeah, you saw it all long before it was ever published. You know, a lot of the stories behind the stories and yep. watched me struggle through some of those lessons. And yep. it's... Uh, it has been a remarkable journey, and I'm I am continually proud and impressed of what's happened out here in Newburn and what God has been doing here and continues to do here, even through the pandemic. It's it's almost ridiculous. Like, yeah. It's amazing yeah. what God is doing, and and just the ability to humbly follow Him wherever He takes and to seize those opportunities. and And I've loved both the the patience and the intentionality that mm-hmm. we've seen out here. You guys have just have done a remarkable job. Well, it's been, um, it's, it's definitely been the Lord, you know, I hate to say it, it sounds so religious when you say the Lord, the Lord, it's been Jesus, <laughs> you know, along the way leading, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. But, you know, one of the things that I think just to help us keep it kind of condensed in times, you know, I'm yeah. a long talker, I can talk forever, but one of the, the stories that I love in the book, you talk about 
this is your own personal story. And it relates to, I think, what kind of has summed up what we're talking about with us here, too, as well mm-hmm. as you and Hydra. But your personal story about, you know, talking about how you had that moment with Jesus where he just revealed to you that he wanted you to be like a boat without a, a rudder, mm. you know. And, you know, so much of our journey has been that, you know. And I, I haven't described that in the way that you have mm-hmm. as far as the the verbiage or this, even the way you felt expressed to you. But I think that's what is so impactful, probably in your journey as well as ours, was just the, the availability. Yeah. You know, you, you had premonitions or ideas of what you thought could happen and what you desired, but ultimately surrendering that and allowing the Lord to move wherever, allow Jesus to kind of guide you and lead you and be okay with where he moved you. Yeah. I think that was the most impactful thing, especially from your past of coming into Goldsboro and a lot of expectations getting shattered. Yeah, it really was uh, a challenging season, um, especially early on. Those first five years, we didn't see a whole lot of progress. We didn't see a whole lot happening. I remember a time of just praying, God, give us three ideas that will lead to breakthrough. Because we knew we didn't have the ideas. My natural task-oriented mindset was not going to be what led a group of of established people into reaching new people and bringing those two groups together. Mm. We really needed God to be the leader. I mean, it's a part of the values that this is his church and it's not my church. I mean, that was when we first restarted, there would be people who were upset, come to my office and like, this doesn't feel like my church anymore. (laughs) And I would try to compassionately say, that's probably good because it was never meant to be your your church. church. Yeah. It's, this is God's church. And, and it is kind of interesting. I was having a conversation with Noah just last week. Noah is my 13-year-old son who is um, a little oddly future-focused. And, and he kind of just said, Dad... I don't worry we get that from, right? I can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> <laughs> but he, he said, Dad, I, I think I need to like one day put some kind of reminder in my phone or whatever that every five years I just stop and look at whatever work I'm doing and ask if this is really what I want to be doing. And I said, well... I don't think you really have to worry about that. You're you're not going to be the kind of person who wastes your time and energy for years on end. But you also know that your first job is not your dream job and that everything is moving you in a direction. And so for me, it was it was never about a, a call to a place or a dream of achieving a certain thing in my career or reaching a certain level. It, it was always just do what's next. Um, and sometimes we get so focused on this long range, big picture <laughs> that we miss the little opportunities and the things that he's giving us to do right now. And that's that's probably what I was doing in that first year really is I had this picture of what I thought Hydrant Church should be. <laughs> and I was pursuing that and missing the little opportunities <laughs> That would actually lead to that, but I, I had my path, and sure. I was trying to stick my arm or, or paddle or something in there as a, as a rudder instead of allowing the Spirit to move us. And when we can really begin to trust the Spirit and really trust His guidance, even in, in times when it feels kind of counterproductive or slow, it makes a huge difference yeah. in where we end up. Yeah. Well, you, uh, you know, that was one of the things, and for those of you that are listening and, and you know, saying, well, I'm not in a restart scenario mm-hmm. or, you know, maybe you're like me and you, 
you considering planting small, which by the way, the conference has plenty of, you know, yeah. stuff to help you, you know, resource you and challenge you. But for us, the, that part of your story was compelling, not mm-hmm. because we felt like we had to turn a ship, but we're here building a ship, mm-hmm. you know, and sometimes you can get so caught up in just wanting to hit the sea mm-hmm. that you forget there's, you got to take your time to see the ship built with integrity and built right and built solid. I mean, you don't want to go slap something together, hit the sea, and then a storm rolls in and, and you know, you're just debris yeah. scattered around to be driftwood. And with your with, with the story that was a part of you guys and a part of, you know, what your book is telling about, especially when it gets into the call and all these things, is it helped us understand the importance of being flexible to follow the Spirit, mm-hmm. but to help us develop perseverance when things didn't always seem like they were the most productive, weren't really going our way, felt like we were fighting uphill, losing people when you should be gaining people, you know, just all those yeah. things. One of the biggest determiners of whether someone will be able to succeed in rethinking church or not, whether it's an established church, a plant, restart, revitalization project, whatever it is, is just is grit. Yeah. Do you have this conviction? Um, there's one of the church where I just kind of list my own convictions as we began this project and it, it, that you can fall back on when you want to quit because you're going to want to quit. Yep. Nothing goes right at first yep. and it doesn't look like you're going to succeed in the middle. It's not until the end, and, and you've got to have just what you described, that grit. And I think um, something I loved about what you guys did and in and, and your story, so it's kind of shifting. I know we're supposed to be talking about the book and, <laughs> and my story or whatever, but it, it really isn't that good. So the idea is, um, is what are you building, mm-hmm. right? Like in, and you guys had this mindset and what you plan to do. And another plant in town kind of beat you to it. And you had to rethink what your plan was and shifted. And I, and this is what I I observe and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but um, is you started out with the intention of building a speedboat. You were going to build this massive ship with a bunch of engines that you had control over and you could push the speed and go fast. And God kind of blew up those plans and made you start over and build a sailboat yeah. in which the wind has control over your yeah. speed. And you were trusting the spirit to move you at his pace and in his way. And it takes longer to build and, and it's built differently. And yet it never runs out of gas. Yep. And so you've been able to continue to do way more than even anticipated yeah. in your speedboat mindset by trusting the spirit and building a sailboat instead. Too many guys want to put their hand on a throttle and push it and go fast. Too many women, same thing. We want to push and go fast when really the goal needs to be to last and to go far and to build something that can continue to move forward whenever God's ready to move it forward. Yeah. I think that's the, and and you, you, you know, you sort of talk about that from that perspective of becoming okay with what you were leading mm-hmm. and sometimes we're not okay with what we are currently leading because we're so put out about what we're not yet leading oh that's good and i think that's the that's the thing because mm-hmm. you know for us it was a similar place which is funny because you know the lord is, is is speaking right into where we were and he said you know i i've been heard you say these things before but you got to walk through the forest yourself too you know yeah but yeah. ended up in those scenarios where I, you know, it was like 40 people 
and I had had to come to the place of being okay mm-hmm. with leading 40 people. If yeah. this is all this ever is. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jesus called us somewhere else, and that's all we accomplished. Mm-hmm. You know, we had to deduce it down to the story, which you talk about in the, in the book as well, personal stories, mm-hmm. having those things that help you maintain focus. Yeah. Our next door neighbor, you know, came to Jesus. That was the yeah. only story we had to cling to when it was like 40 people. Yeah. You know, yeah. and when I say 40 people, we're talking about kids, people that walk by the building, you know, anything <laughs> yeah. else. Your <laughs> family, all of it. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes 40 was generous. <laughs> I can remember one Sunday that we had uh, a young girl preaching her very first sermon. It was the Sunday after Thanksgiving, which is traditionally bad for us. If her family hadn't come, we'd have had less than 20 people in the room and <laughs> less than 20 people in a room. And this is a, you know, a year after we'd launched. Yeah, like man. there's nothing like that to kind of humble you and remind you where you're at. <laughs> but I think, uh, I think you hit on something so important and, and I didn't really say it this clearly in the book, but the idea of being content with where we are and where God has called us and embracing it and learning to find the advantages that are there when it's 40 people or 50 yeah. or whatever. But I, I, I tell, I tell pastors this, that, uh, that are struggling, they're not seeing guests, they're not winning people is your church isn't ready to. I said, yeah. when your church is ready yeah. to care for a new believer, yeah. when your church is ready to raise a young believer, to, God will entrust them to you. Yeah. But I think when it comes to leadership in our organizations, we want to be a church that's twice as big as we are. Or, you know, we all want and think sometimes that bigger is better. <laughs> but I don't know that God, let me tell you about it, there is a principle in Scripture. This is when we've been faithful with little, He'll give us more. Yeah. And and there are a lot of us who, who think we can do more than we can. Mm. And I was one of them. Mm. I thought my church should be bigger, but I just wasn't ready. I needed to grow as a person, as a leader, and our organization needed to be better prepared to minister to more people than we were in that time. And until we solved those things, until God grew in us and grew in me and grew in that group of people, Mm -hmm. and we shifted our focus to some of those systems from these tasks and getting bigger, then then it didn't happen and it wasn't going to happen. Mm -hmm. And And it's... I think that God trusts us with what we can, what with his help we can handle. And when we're ready for more, scripture tells us he gives us more. Mm. Well, you, and I want to say this and then kind of jump into one other spot, which yeah. leads right into, but you always had a statement that I, I remembered about how you felt that, that you were sort of impressed by the spirit to, to think about where you were. Mm-hmm. And I, I think it was something along the lines of, um, you know, why are you worried about who's not here mm-hmm. when you should be worried about who is here? Yeah. And so many times that's what we're, we're thinking about the people that aren't in the room and mm-hmm. miss out on the focus of who is in the room. Yeah. So in those moments, like, like you're talking about, if their family wasn't there, you wouldn't have had 20. You know, we went from the early days of just meeting in her house to having 30, 35 people crammed in there. And when we took a step out and moved in another location, 
we we were that first Sunday, at, you know, the first Sunday everybody showed up, <laughs> your friends and everybody. Oh, that's right. And the second Sunday it was like twelve people, and I thought, <laughs> what have we done? Yeah, and I, I blew this up. Yeah, and, no, and, and I mean it was just if it wasn't for the sorry mir- God, <laughs> if it wasn't for the mirrors in the workout room we were meeting in the back, it would have felt like nobody. Yeah, was. but that I heard the echo of that mm. online. Be faithful with who's here, and that was yeah. the. Ooh, I remember stepping up to to preach. Yeah. And everything in you is telling you, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. This is ridiculous. This is call us off and go home. Yeah. And I felt the spirit just speak to me as though do this as mm-hmm. if you would have done it if it was 200. Yeah. And I think that's a part of the commitment for the call is mm. for the, for the vision for the church is to do it like you were doing it when the place that you want to be yeah. is in because you're preparing for that. Excellence is excellence. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room. And if you create, we talk about what we hate and we talk about what we like. We were good at that for a long time. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) That's right. And then, and and then it's the mediocre we don't talk about. Right. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so if something is really great, people will talk about it. And so you've got to make it really great, whether it's five or 10 or 12 people, and it will look different at Great for 10 is very different than great for 50. That's right. And great for 200. It's all got to kind of look different and be Mm. fit to that group. But there is this sense of we need to be grateful, right? Like none of us are all that good. Um, If we were, we'd be on TV. And and so the the idea that anyone got out of bed and showed up to listen to you talk about scripture and god for and 30 minutes coffee at the time yeah, yeah that's right that's right <laughs> then then we should just be grateful right yeah. like these people believe in what you're saying they believe in your church they believe yeah. in what's happening even if everything around them says something to the contrary they're still believing with you yeah. so invest in them believe yeah. in them and and pour into them and yeah. And, and, and just help them to discover who they were created to be and what they could do for the kingdom of God mm-hmm. and unleash it mm-hmm. and, and let God worry about empty seats. Look, you're not going to go call everyone you know every single Sunday. You can't set their alarm for them. Nope. You can't get them out of bed and get them there. God has to do that wooing. You just provide an environment that's conducive to it. Yeah. But it's it's tough when you get up and you stand up. And I can remember complaining to God, like, <laughs> what in the world? And, he's, and, and him just saying, son, you're not that good. Yeah. And he's just like, okay, yep, you're right. love, serve, and teach these folks. And, and then if he wants to add to that number, he is fully mm-hmm. capable. Um, and, and then your job is to be ready for it because mm-hmm. uh, it'll come. If, in, as, if people love what's happening, They'll talk about it. You'll earn a reputation. Yeah. Well, and that's, I think we can hit the few things that I'm thinking about right here because they all go hand in hand and your book kind of breaks them out talking about obscurity and, Mm. you know, the big dreams. But the the couple things that you know that uh, we have a shared commonality on, which is a lot of the book as it is, if you're a minister, you know this, but, you know, is obscurity, leadership, and discipleship. Mm. And so I think... In obscurity, you know, anonymity and leading a small organization, a small church, mm-hmm. one of the biggest things, ob- obscurity doesn't mean that we don't make the most of what we have, yeah. like you're talking about in excellence. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times we get caught up in being so obscure and being in a place in, of anonymity 
that we feel like we don't have any influence to leverage. Mm-hmm. But leadership and discipleship, raising leaders, which you, you just talked about that from speaking to the people that are there. Yeah. To lead, serve, and love them. Mm-hmm. In obscurity, the greatest thing we could do to provide any platform or place for the Lord to build on foundationally if he wants to grow the organization beyond what we are even capable of. In that obscure time, we've got to pour into helping raise leaders and helping to establish a an environment of discipleship. Yeah. Not perfection, mm-hmm. but at least give a place where we're experimenting on knowing what it's like to pour into people during those times. Yeah. That's that's something I think walks hand to hand. So I don't know if you want to Yeah. I mean, I think that we have a tendency as leaders and as pastors when we are in the place of obscurity or feel obscure to um, to be a little too introspective, right? We get thinking about um, what we ought to be doing, what God ought to be doing, how it should be, what opportunity we should get. And then we start to compare, which is never good. You yeah. fall off that cliff every time in one direction or other thinking, well, I'm better than them. I should have gotten that opportunity. Or, wow, I wish God would do that here. Why won't he do that here? And you feel like a failure. Yeah. And both of those paralyze us. And and we have a tendency in our obscurity to feel like we don't matter. Mm-hmm. We feel like our ministry doesn't matter. Our influence doesn't matter. We feel like our church doesn't matter. And there are a lot of churches and, and pastors, small, medium, large, who feel mm-hmm. helpless. And Elijah complex. Yeah, know. and feel hopeless. They've yeah. run themselves ragged, trying to do... Me? Too much on their own and thinking they're the only ones out there on this team. And yeah. it's and it just paralyzes you. And then you've got the guys and women in small churches who have tried. They've tried to cast it. They tried to go after something and and it didn't work after a year or two. And so they, they yeah. just gave up. Everything It feels like everything you try isn't working. Or you, you feel like um, nobody's with you. Yeah. You're all alone. And so you don't try. And it just feels helpless yeah. and hopeless. And we don't see the value of anonymity. There's um, there's this understanding among leadership developers that it takes 20 years to become a leader. Anything that happens in your leadership in the first 20 years is just pure luck and blessing of God, right? Like you have no clue. You haven't gone through the development that's required to actually be able to lead well until you're starting to hit into that 20 year mark. And I can look at the years of, of ministry and see that happening. I can look back and see those lessons and realize, yeah. God, you just you just blessed me because you're good and, yeah. and not because I'm any good. But I think that we have a tendency to get locked down and we don't see the value of that season. And there's several things we can do. And one of them is to get better ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to, when we're going to develop leaders, we have to develop the leader in us first. Yeah. Most pastors and leaders don't have a plan to grow. They don't know where they need to grow. Yeah. They don't know where they're weak. They don't know where they're strong. They're not investing in themselves and their time. When you're pastoring a small church, you have a lot of time. Let's just be real. If, you, if you're any good at man, you could visit everyone in your church, write your sermon, your Bible study, and still have half a week to 
twiddle your thumbs. And that's when you should be reading and yep, pouring into it. yourself Podcast. and investing in people. Yeah, listening. Like this one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. like this one. Um, you know, l- reading the book like this that's one. Right. <laughs> um, and and then you and, and then you take those things and you spend time with someone else. Find one person that that wants to grow as a leader. And just start reading books with them and yeah. talking about them. Yeah. You know, just find the people that you can raise up and empower and train and 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 find ways to spend more time with your family. Like, listen, if your kids are young, you should not be at work late. Yeah. They, they'll come a day when you come home at 530 and there won't be anybody there. And that's fine if you want to work late then. But right now, you, you need to be investing in your family. You need to be investing in yourself. You need to be investing in people. You need to be growing your character. This yeah. is a place to be rooting out sin, rooting out mm-hmm. bad habits, rooting mm-hmm. out laziness, rooting out insecurity mm-hmm. that drives us. It's a, it's the time, and we see Jesus spent thirty years in obscurity and three years doing ministry, right? And we want to reverse it. We want to go to school for three or four years and then spend thirty <laughs> or forty leading, yeah, and it's. Right. And, and we don't see the value of what happens in those obscure seasons. And if we try to rush out of them, God will keep us in them. Yeah. And he'll allow us to go through these. And I think we'll hit them more than once in life. Mm-hmm. Like we'll, we'll have a season of obscurity and then we'll have a season of blooming. And then he'll put us back in obscurity to learn something new. Yeah. And we've got to be learning. We've got to be growing, we've got to be pouring out. I mean, you think about Jesus, right? 30 years in obscurity. He, he has some breakout teaching moments, calls the 12 disciples, but chances are he's still not really known. Yeah. It takes a while to build a reputation. And so he had lots of time with those 12 in those early year of ministry to be pouring into them yeah. until they're ready. And then you see them be able to do remarkable things because of the time he spent with them. So it's not even really even about what we can accomplish. It's like, who can we pour into? Who can we share this with? Who can we give opportunities to? What can we leverage during this time? Mm -hmm. This can be gone. It's a great time to experiment, right? Because nobody's watching. You fail and nobody knows. Nobody knows. It's fantastic. It doesn't carry a huge weight. Yes, it is the (laughs) best thing. Like if you screw up in those early years, it doesn't affect a bunch of people. If you're leading a church of 2,000 and, and you have have a bad week bad month bad year it's going to affect lots of people if you have uh, sin in your life that hasn't been dealt with back when he gave you opportunity it's going to come out and then it's going to affect way more people Mm -hmm. so this is the time that our character and our Mm -hmm. skill and our heart has to grow and then we pour it into others make disciples which is the same thing as building leaders because those who are called and gifted as leaders will grow in that yeah Here's a couple of things that I have from, you know, personal experience of that. Because you and I have talked about so much, you know, about in obscurity building strategy and thinking through a lot of things, just like you're talking about there. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing in the obscurity for, for me in personal development is a lot of us think that when we reach the point of blossoming, that's when it's going to be the most fruitful and mm-hmm. we're going to be the most energized. <laughs> and what I have found, which you probably you know, you've got a little bit more experience in ministry beyond me in that, for sure. But what I have found in ministry is the obscure places where the fuel of which in the blossoming areas I had stuff to run on. Yeah. It was the overflow from the obscure times mm-hmm. of which I ran on in the blossoming times. Because when you're in the midst of the harvest, you're just you're just worried about bringing in the harvest. Yeah. You're not thinking about the seeds that are planting and you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, wow, look at all that. We just got to go. Yeah. And I, I look back on my life and if I hadn't 
if I hadn't been disciplined as an individual, then I'm surprised at how long the harvest has been and how much energy and gumption we had to run. Yeah. You know, I'm still running off of stuff that I poured into, you know, four or five years ago. Yeah. And the problem is a lot of us, we're just waiting to get to a blossoming moment, not realizing right now is when we need to be cultivating, we need to be pruning, we need to be, mm-hmm. you know, to use all your analogies yeah. in the garden sort of well, perspective. Yeah, those two, you know, a ship without a rudder, a sailboat, and a garden yeah. is are, are two really key images for me. I see, especially in the small church, and it really should be this way, I think, in any church, but we are creating kind of greenhouses, gardens for disciples to grow that where they can get the, the attention they need to take their next step in growth. And we're not, we're looking for fruit, right? And some fruit is consumed and some fruit is poured back in uh, to, to grow more. And, um, and we have this tendency to want to look at discipleship like a factory. We have, you have to either, um, you're, you're creating behavior modification. Like, yep. let me change what you do. That's right. And here are the behaviors you don't do. And here are the behaviors you do. And once you fit into these categories and can check all those boxes, go. you're a good disciple. My discipleship is done. The program is done. Yeah. Or it's knowledge. Yeah. I need to teach you what to believe, what to think, how to dress, and 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 what to what political issues you need to, to have a, a opinion like about this. and all this kind of stuff. <laughs> teach you the knowledge and then we're done discipling you. But discipleship is this lifelong journey of taking whatever next step God puts in front of you. And, and that's a, a gardening mentality. But the the thing about the garden is the harvest depends on the soil. Mm-hmm. Like we see this in the parable of the soil. Um, and, and the church that we lead has a soil. It has a culture. Yeah. And the more work we put into the culture, the more work we put into the, the seasons of obscurity when nobody's watching as you're getting up early and you're tilling up that soil and you're getting out the rocks and you're pulling weeds and you're, you're investing, you're watering those seeds that that produces a harvest. Yeah. If you don't take care of the soil, it doesn't matter how good the seed is and how much water and how much rain, uh, sun you get, you're not going to get the same harvest as it as you do when you pour your energy into the soil. Every good farmer, and we're in farming country here in yeah. eastern North Carolina, like they know they need to test that soil every year. They need to see the the levels of pH and acid and all of the the components and minerals that are in that soil to know what needs to be planted that year. And and the thing we we fail to do is we try to plant seed programs, scriptures from everywhere else into our soil without realizing what our soil is like. We don't test the soil to see if it's if it's good, if it's yeah. if it is conducive to growth, if it's rocky or weedy or thorny, yeah. if it's packed down like a path. We don't see that and we don't see that work, right? Because that takes five, six, seven years, right? I talked about the first five years being tough. That yeah. was the soil, the That's time right. we were working in the soil. But once that soil's good, like you said, it doesn't matter what you plant in it, it's gonna grow. And produce fruit, and it's it's remarkable. I mean, Scripture yeah. calls it exponential, yeah. and, and so I think you're dead on. That obscure time is so important. I've grown to love it, and and this book and podcast, the Rethink Small Conference, some of those things are starting to push me out of obscurity a little bit, <laughs> and I'm and I I I'm honestly have rejected it to some degree. Sure. Sure. And I've not wanted that to happen, knowing that I need to. I need to allow God to yeah. control those times. But I have such a joy and love for being able to 
to invest in those things, invest in people, and to to be able to see what God is doing in those times is is incredible. Yeah, I think um, within you know, and you you talk and hit a lot on this within the leadership and strategy and discipleship, especially as being a leader. But we in those early days, I mean, I know for us, one of the the catapults that were used was to kind of lean in that agrarian idea. I went from focusing on the sunflower in the pot, which was me, Mm -hmm. to being like, I'm only going to be able to produce a certain amount of harvest through that, right? Mm -hmm. And if I can move towards a place of shared relationship, Mm -hmm. shared, you know, leadership, shared discipleship, and select the people that I knew that God had sent there and had giftings Mm -hmm. and capabilities to pour into, when I shifted there, things began to move. And that harvest has become exponential Mm -hmm. because we went from a pot to being planted in the soil to then where more seed can be scattered, right? And I think within a lot of us in the church, especially probably many of you in a small church, the best you're going to be able to lead on your own in a pot by yourself Mm -hmm. is probably 30 to 40 people. Mm -hmm. And that's almost too many than what you are capable of. Mm But visiting every person, trying to make them look at your ray of sunshine, mm. you know, pulling off your pedal, it's deciding. I'm going to say have to say no to certain expectations with people mm. so that I can do the things that I know are going to be the most producing in longevity. So I think within all those principles of leadership and discipleship, you know, all those go hand in hand for me. Yeah. Is raising leaders is discipleship. Mm-hmm. And me being healthy so that I can select others mm-hmm. and, and pour into them so they can be healthy and do that to others. I think That's there, the key. I think there are a couple of contributing factors to this that it, you hit on something so important. It's one of the, one of the biggest mistakes uh, of pastors is to believe that if it's going to happen, it's going to happen because I make it happen. Yeah. Um, we, we believe that if it's going to be done right, I'm going to have to do it myself. And, and I tell the story of running around doing all of that in the early stages and, and getting the results that you'd expect from it and and being frustrated and our people being frustrated. And it was not how we're meant to lead. But I think a couple of things um, is this false, you know, Superman mindset, but it's paired with something, right? So I'm, I'm convinced that humility and confidence are tied together, two sides of the same coin. Yep. The most humble person is the most confident, but that means that arrogance and insecurity are tied together because we're covering up our insecurity. So this Superman mindset of I have to do this, it's not going to get done unless I do it, is actually tied to our insecurity. Yeah, It's tied to our fears of failure. Yeah, Or here's, here's where it really gets a lot of pastors. We have a lot of pastors ministering in a codependent way. Yeah. They need the acceptance and love and approval of their people to feel like they're doing what they're supposed to do. They don't feel valuable unless they're doing all of these things and all of their people love them and are happy with them. (laughs) You can't keep but 30 people happy and you're not even going to keep them happy all the time, right? So until you can... They're happy to your face and then take it away from you. It's like the interview when every church tells you we're ready for change and none of them are. Yeah, it's it's just like that. I was ready for change, but not that one. Not that one. <laughs> when I said change, I just meant do the things we're already doing better, yeah. not like change what we're doing. Yeah, yeah. 
But I, I, you, you hit on it's so important that, that we have to go through. And I think it's one of those, those stages where we have to break free from that need for affirmation from the people we lead because we're going to be preaching. It's going to affect how we preach, how we lead, the decisions we make, because we're always looking for that approval. Until yeah. we've accepted our identity in Christ and become confident, not just in, in who we are as a believer, but in our abilities, right? Yeah. He puts certain gifts and abilities and strengths into each of us. When we are self-aware, we can be self-confident. That's right. And we'll bring people around us who are good at what we're not. And, and that's when we start to get free. And that was, for me, those early stages and this pressure to succeed and to be good and to my, my fear of failure um, was driving me. And until I let go of those things and shifted my attention completely to this idea of loving, serving, and teaching the people you've entrusted to me, it also meant not just the spiritual side, but helping them to... to be the church, yeah. which meant a shift in focus to foundational things like how are we going to build teams? How are we going to be leaders? How are we going to give this church to the people yeah. who are the church That's instead right. of it being all on yeah. my shoulders, That's right? It. Because I can't carry that weight. I was never meant to or designed to. Yeah. I have a role, and that's to to preach and to connect and to love and to make disciples and raise leaders. But it's not to to make all the coffee and sweep all the sidewalks and clean all the glass and do the though. sound and yeah, <laughs> do the sound and the AV and all the yeah. editing and all yeah. of that. Like I, yeah. I can't do that yeah. and be the man I'm supposed to be, the the husband, the father, the pastor I'm supposed to be. And we have to to begin to wrestle through. Why do I feel like this depends on me? Is it a fear? Is it an insecurity? Is it a need that is not being met where it should be? What's going on in me that's driving this arrogance? What insecurities are there that need to be rooted out and dealt with so then I can effectively make disciples and raise leaders and build teams and allow the church to be the church? Yeah, and I think you're exactly right with that. I mean, that's what we talk about with raising leaders. I mean, the 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 level of growth that your church is currently in says volumes about the level of you know um, the level of your ability to raise up the leaders in power. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't want to make that like a blanket statement for somebody that's living in a populace of 200 people and expecting yeah. something huge. But I'm just talking about generally speaking. Um, you, you're not going to be it. You're going to hit a ceiling at some point. Your leadership, go past that. yeah. Your okay. leadership and your church are perfectly designed to get the results they're getting. Yeah. So if you need different results, then exactly. you need different leadership and different systems in the church. You need to change something yeah. to get different results because you're it's designed. You're without even realizing it's perfectly designed. If you never see guests. Your church is perfectly designed to never see guests. If you are not baptizing anyone, you're perfectly designed not to baptize someone. Yeah. So why is that? Mm. And can we dig into that a little bit as churches and, and begin to answer that question? Like for us, one of the ways that we did that, we early on, we were seeing guests every single week. We weren't retaining a lot of those guests um, and, and we began to ask the question of why. And we... Early on, we would do these, uh, you know, coffee with the pastor, pizza, yeah. burger, whatever it was with the pastor to get to know the new people. And they would come. We'd ask the question, well, why did you why did you come to Hydrant the first time? And that was just the wrong question because we we were we had no problem getting people to come the first time. We started asking, well, why did you come the second time? That's good. And we realized that people came the second time 
not because of the music, not because of the preaching, not even because of the kids' ministry or, or anything like that, not because of how our facilities were. They came because of the way that our people made them feel. Yeah, and right. we, we started to shift some more energy and focus into the guest experience yeah. and taking care of guests from the beginning of the end of the service. And they felt loved and they felt like this was a place they could connect. And here's, here's what we realized. Nobody's going to buy any buy it all the first time, right? Like nobody's going to believe it all. The the person who walks in on Sunday and gets saved the first Sunday they've been in church is rare. <laughs> but if you put someone with our people for three months, God's going to get a hold of them and That's do right. something. That's right. And, and we watched it happen again and again. If we could get people to come back the second, third, fourth time, then we watched God get a hold of their heart over time mm-hmm. and do remarkable things. And so we just had to shift our focus a little bit to move from having guests every week to having second, third, fourth time guests every week. Yeah. You know, this is one of those examples of you're designed to get the results you're getting. No, and that's, and you get the, yeah, and being able to shift to more of an understanding of port of giving value. I think most of us, we, we're trying to deplete people of value rather than mm. giving them value because we're asking them for them to give us their value. Mm. Yeah. Rather than helping them see their value in the, in the king, helping them see that mm. he's gifted and equipped them to help them see their role and function within the church, yeah. you know. And I think if anything within within our movement here is it's been if we got a lot wrong and we still get that we all wrong. do. Yeah, we still get a lot wrong and we still get the value piece at times uh-huh. askew. But for the most part people feel that they're valued. Yeah. And they're encouraged to give that even more so to those around them. Well, and and part of it is it can be revealed in how we communicate, but there has to be this heart shift that um, people don't experience in church today typically. People have to believe and know that you want more for them than from them. Yeah. The church's reputation is taking, taking money, taking time, taking energy, um, hurting my reputation. I mean, any number of things. Like, right? So we need to shift and we yeah. need to want more for our communities, for our people, for our guests than we want from them. We need to want more for people in their lives and their families and their homes and their kids than they know to even want for themselves. And once they begin to to want those things and begin to see the value you place on them, they begin to see themselves in God's eyes and live that out. But too many of us are, are to me, just as human beings in this country, living defeated, broken down, un- undervalued lives. And and the church is the place that speaks God's value over people. And, and we need to want more for them than from them. And when they know that, they'll trust you. Mm. No, that's good. And I think I think the last thing that I just want to tell you, we don't, obviously, like, you might have to make this into a series. But yeah, we uh, may have to do a two-part. <laughs> we'll figure it out. We'll see. <laughs> but, you know, I'm... I'm thinking too there within just looking back of our trajectory and as well yours. And a lot of people, this may be a duh thing, mm-hmm. but when we talk about rethinking the leader, mm-hmm. the leader, that's something you always have to do. And um, as a leader, if you're not rethinking your leadership, mm-hmm. your abilities, your role, how you should function. And we talked about that throughout this entire interview. Yeah. But just coming back to that, you know, I think a lot of us feel like if we just reach this this point or this mm-hmm. place, then everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And 
But the thing is, once you get there, knowing now, having been a lot of places, <laughs> I thought if I would have got there at one time, and then getting there, and then being like, what in the world? Yeah. You know, there. what will happen if you're not forced to understand that I have to rethink things continually is mm-hmm. you'll grow complacent mm-hmm. in your place of leadership. You'll grow complacent in your place of influence. Yeah. And I think the greatest thing about rethinking as you do grow is a lot more of learning how to say a lot of no's yeah. to even more than you ever thought you would. And <laughs> It's really hard for us to realize sometimes um, that every yes is a no. Mm. And so we as, as pastors, we have a hard time saying no, so we keep saying yes mm. and not realizing that, that every yes to a new program is no to to our family. Every yes to a new speaking engagement is no to time to invest in, in the people of our church. Every yes to spend money is no to spend money on something else. Like one of my favorite in our small church setting is is to talk about kids ministry, right? Like most small churches that I come into contact with, either in consulting or coaching, they do VBS. And they're one of like 30 churches in a community or more. Like in Wayne County, where I serve, there's 400 churches, yeah. most of which do some kind of VBS, right? <laughs> and and what happens is you're babysitting all the church people's kids for a week in the summer. And and they go to the same three VBSs all summer. And, That's right. you know, the same, you, you have those ones who get saved, <laughs> say a prayer, and, you know, get an ice cream cone, have Just a good a, time. and do a, do a parent's night yeah. out if that's what you want. Yeah. Day, right? <laughs> right, but they so they're spending three grand uh-huh. minimum, small church, three yeah. grand to ten grand or more on this VBS, right? And then they spend three hundred dollars all year on kids ministry, and they wonder why people come to that one week but they don't come any other time. And, and so we're saying yes to VBS and we're saying no to our kids ministry. Mm-hmm. So if we shift that and say, okay, we're not going to do VBS, we're going to take we're going to take three, four, five thousand dollars and pour it into the way we do kids ministry every week and make it great. Yeah. You expand your potential and you say yes to something that will really last and have a greater influence than something of one week of babysitting. And so we just don't think that way. We don't realize that what we say yes to is a no. So we got to get more intentional about what we're saying yes and no to. Yeah. And this is really, really important for small churches, for churches in, in rural areas, for churches in impoverished areas, right? We we think, because we think like big churches, that we just need to keep adding ministries to create more open doors into the church. But that's just not true, because we end up doing a bunch of stuff really poorly, yeah. at best, with, with mediocrity. Yeah. When you have limited money and limited volunteer hours and limited property and resources, you have to be even more intentional mm. about how you use them. And the more intentional you are, the the better you are at any of those things. Do two or three things really well versus 10, okay. Now, to where you are going, the pastor has to do the same thing with his own time. Because yep. every time I say yes to a, to a nighttime meeting, I'm saying no to time at the dinner table yep. with my wife and my yep. kids. And which of those am I called to do? And for me, the way I process this is to start with the things that only I can do and prioritize those. So no one else can take care of my spiritual, emotional, mental, physical health. No one else in the world can do that. No one else uh, can be 
can be Anita's husband. No one else can be Noah and Sophia's dad. Those are the things, and there's not much more that only I can do. Now, in the role that I'm in, I'm the only one who can be the primary teacher. And so that takes priority over setting sound, doing video, any of these other things that I might like to do. I have to prioritize based on what it is that only I can do and what it is I'm called to do, what it is I'm made to do. And when we focus on that, it gives us the freedom to say no to the other things. And what we're doing when we start saying no is we're making room for other people to live into their calling. Every time I say yes to something I shouldn't, I am taking ministry away from someone else. That's right. I'm taking blessing away from someone else. I'm taking opportunity away from someone else. And so I have to be very intentional. And as a leader, we have to keep evaluating that. And maybe every six months, every year, every couple of years, what is most important for me to be doing in this season of life? And, and what is it that I need to let go? Mm-hmm. And, and we, we have to keep rethinking that. And I think that, you know, one of the things that's so important is to always be rethinking everything. Yeah. I think too often we get settled. Yeah. And, and the church is known as an organization that keeps the status quo instead of questioning it. But all throughout Scripture, we see a God who pushes beyond that, a God who keeps calling us forward. And somehow we get to, you know, the end of, of Paul's letters. We get to that, you know, that season in the early 100s, and we think that God stopped pushing the world forward. But he is continually moving us forward to be more generous, mm. more neighborly, more loving, more uh, more empowering, more inclusive, and to bringing us back to the humanity we were created to be. He's continuing to move that forward. And, and there will come a day when it culminates, and it doesn't look like that now. Sure. And so we join him in the efforts of, of bringing that to be. Uh, but it, it will, we, we got to keep thinking, keep rethinking, keep questioning. Question what you believe, question what you value. Question uh, what you're doing. Question how you use your time. Question what you're preaching, how you're preaching it, right? Like some of us are using preaching modes, communication modes that worked 50 years ago in a time when the attention span is smaller than it's ever been, yep. you know, and we're, we're not taking that into consideration. We, we are, we're speaking to people as if they know the stories of the Bible. Yep. When they have no idea who you're talking about, so what you're true. talking about, so you got to tell the story. Right. And so just little things like that, but you're right. You got to keep rethinking. The moment you stop rethinking is the moment you put a timer on your ministry. Mm. You'll stop being effective. It's just a matter of time and it won't take long in today's world. <laughs> That's for sure, man. And I, you know, looking at, um, just looking at a leader being, thinking about my own, you know, my own life, having to rethink so many things about my approach and, and mm. what I needed to do. I think one of the strong points and you, you know, and again, through the book, you talk about that, especially with your story of Hydrant, mm-hmm. was the beauty of restarting something or, or starting from scratch. But the problem is you don't have to just label it with this. The thing is, is vision and mission for the church as leaders is something that has to be birthed out of who we are. Mm-hmm. Now, it has to be detached from who we are. <laughs> yeah. But if we don't feel the conviction of mm-hmm. it, then we're, all we're doing is asking people to do something that we're unwilling to do, yeah. which you talk about is not good. <laughs> yeah. And But rethinking about being a leader, I think that's one of the biggest points in my life, continually as a leader, mm-hmm. uh, in my 
weaknesses, flaws, mistakes, and everything is constantly coming back. And am I living the mission and the vision Mm -hmm. that I'm casting to everyone else? Mm, Um, Because that's the most compelling thing. If I don't believe it and people don't see that I do believe it by the way I live, Mm -hmm. for the most part, Mm -hmm. there's nothing for them to join. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I think rethinking things as a leader, that's one of the most important things is coming back to those mooring points and mm-hmm. launching again. All right, why do I need to rethink about my approach to this? Because yeah. the mission and the vision is always going to be, it may have nuance differently, but it's the same thing we've been given in the narrative of Scripture. It's the mm-hmm. same thing the church has been commissioned with. Yeah. The tools are just tools. Yeah. And if whatever tools are in your box you're using right now, you got to be willing to put those tools back in the box and get a new tool for the new job mm-hmm. each and time. I, I talk a little bit about this idea that everything I've done prepares me for whatever I'm doing. Yeah. And, and whatever you're going through right now is preparing you for what's next. So every heartache has value. Every uh, every failure has value. Every success has value. So, uh, you know, for me, I've, I've done about anything you can do in a church from, from janitor and kids ministry, you know, discipleship, planting venues. All at the same time. All, yeah, no. <laughs> and that's what ended up happening at Hydrant is doing it all at the same time, right? Like took all of those things and it's what made Hydrant possible. Right. I mean, even, you know, there was a season where I, I spent 10 months working toward planting a church mm. only to really sense God pulling the plug on that. But yeah. all of that led to the ability to restart. Yeah. Now, and, and so whatever we're going through right now, whatever we've been through, like I went through some incredible heartache and you know those stories, they don't need to be shared here, but sure. some incredible heartache at, at the hands of the church. And I tell a little bit of that story in the book, but uh, it was that heartache that allowed us to create a church that was safe for the de-churched and the unchurched yeah. to rediscover their faith. And yeah. so in Goldsboro now, when I, if, I, if I'm out in the community at some kind of a multi-church event, or even if I do a funeral, I get someone every time who walks up to me and says, listen, I've got this friend and I'm telling them to come to Hydrant uh-huh. instead of come to my <laughs> church because we know that you'll help them. Yeah. And so I'm hoping and praying they'll come check you guys out. And it's like, mm-hmm. that's the reputation, but it was birthed out of the pain I went through. Yeah. If I hadn't endured that and gone through that, then I would not have been any use to someone going through it now and yeah. not in the same kind of way anyway. And so it really provides the context for the ministry. we have. It's going to be birthed out of our own experiences. And there is a unique ministry as for each of us. Find it for our churches. Find the niche that fits you and your calling and your people's calling. And and then you do that, then it has so much more impact. And And be comfortable. So just this last thing I want to add to that idea is be comfortable with the fact that it will repel some people and attract others. You want the people who care about the same things you care about. Mm. And you want the people who don't care about those things to find a place they fit better. So it's okay if someone comes for, for a month or six months or a year and realizes, you know, my heart is for something different. Mm. Help them find that place and be okay with that. Because you're gathering the people. You will attract the people who care about what you care about. If you don't care about anything, 
and you're going to attract apathetic people who don't care about it. If you don't care about outreach, your church isn't going to care about outreach. If you don't care about serving or meeting needs or the marginalized, then then you're going to attract people who don't care about those things. If you care about biblical teaching, you're going to attract people who care about that. So whatever it is you care about, whatever it is at your heart, you're going to draw people who have a heart for those same things and will allow the mission and the vision to move forward together. And it will happen slower than you expect, but it's okay. It's okay to go slow, be intentional and and do it well. Cause the goal is not to go fast. It's to go far. That's right. And we go far with other people. We go fast alone. So that's kind of the the last thing I would add to that. Uh, So the last thing I wanted to say, and we said about a thousand Mm -hmm. times, but the last thing I think I just wanted to kind of end on is I know that every, Probably most of the people that are either involved have uh, attended or is going to attend the virtual conference mm-hmm. this time. The the common thread that probably brings them to diving in to resources like this mm-hmm. is their place of dissatisfaction. And that was really, for you and I as friends, that mm-hmm. was one of the things that we really connected on early in yeah. our in yeah. our journey. We had a lot of shared lamenting to yeah. use good biblical lamenting language. Complaining, whining. <laughs> yeah. This this uh but it, restless soul yeah. wanting yeah. more. I don't oh. want to paint a bad picture. But there's a, a prophetic thing that can be birthed in that. That's it. That's what I was gonna say is that that is what may bring us mm. to wanting to know more, to press further. Mm. But simply knowing what you don't want to be. Is it not enough to get you where Jesus would have you be? Oh, that's good. That's good. And I think for uh, for us, and maybe you might say, "Well, that's just a young a young guy's thing." That's mm-hmm. their problem, but it's not. I see yeah. so many people in ministry that are just solely discontent mm-hmm. and have wrecked their entire journey because they're not happy where they are. They know what they don't want to be. Mm-hmm. And that's all they've attracted. You talk about attracting. Yeah. All they have, have attracted is disgruntled people. Uh-huh. And they're just disgruntled being disgruntled. <laughs> and it's not enough yeah. to propel you forward and to compel people to join mm-hmm. you. Yeah. So you've got you to gotta move. And hopefully what you'll do in mm-hmm. reading this book and in, re, in being a part of the conferences and the sessions and the resources that Tim and the team are providing is to be able to take those places of holy discontentment Mm. and to see that leverage into dream and possibility. Yeah. It's okay to be like, I'm not okay with that. I don't want that. I don't want to become that. But for me, it wasn't enough to move us forward. You have to allow the the anger and the frustration and the disappointment to convert into action. Mm. It can't just be, um, an unhappiness, a dissatisfaction, a heart, because you'll, you'll end up depressed and defeated. Yep. And what it's or meant to do. <laughs> yeah, that works too. You know, the, I, the, the thing is it, it has to transition. It, anger is a useful emotion when it produces change. It's yeah. there to tell us something is wrong. Something is unjust. <laughs> something is unfair. Something is not as it should be. Yeah. And so you have to dig into that anger and like, what am I really angry about? What is it that I believe mm-hmm could be and should be and must be and work toward that not the tearing down of something else look look criticize by creating not destroying criticize by creating not destroying and then you'll have an impact and an influence and and god will use it Mm -hmm. i was going to say you're talking about uh creating creating happens from conviction Mm -hmm. yeah 
Yeah. You, you have to know why you're doing something, what it is mm-hmm. you want to see. Yeah. It has to have intent. It has to be a conviction. Yeah. And that's the image of God. Yeah. To have a conviction for a family and mm-hmm. to set forth and see it happen. Yeah. You know? And that's it. We There's a whole chapter on rethinking your why and, and, <laughs> and rediscovering that purpose. And then from there, you can start to think about what. And then from there, you start to think about how. And then you start to think about when. And you're ready to act when you get to that point. Mm-hmm. To we can't just get stuck in the frustration. Mm-hmm. That's good. It's, it's just a, a great awareness because we are a lot of a lot of pastors are frustrated. They're disappointed, especially right now. They don't know where to turn, and they're they're just aggravated. And yeah. and you have to be able to stop and dig into those emotions, mm-hmm. find out where they're coming from, finding out what could be, why it has to be and keep moving forward, pressing into those questions, and that'll lead you to the action that you're meant to be taking. Good. Well, Tim, I appreciate you having me on, man. Man, I loved it. I'm so glad, and we'll figure out whether this is one or two or five sessions. <laughs> I knew we but were uh, talk a yeah, time, it's good stuff. This is this is really great, and I will just kind of shameless plug. Uh, you know, subscribe to the podcast. Go check out RethinkSmallConference.com. There are resources there that can help your church. For for right now, just two hundred bucks, you can get. Um, 22 teaching videos along with uh, this book and and other materials. Not only that, but a chance to win some gear, tech gear for your church. We we believe in what can happen when we rethink church. And and so we want to just keep resourcing. So check those things out. And we look forward to being able to connect with you again and, and just keep rethinking.